and welcome to another installment of FSW Conversations, brought to you by Fashion Strategy Weekly, which looks to bring practical, strategic, and research-based insights to leaders in the fashion and luxury industries. I am Jessica Quillen, co-publisher of Fashion Strategy Weekly and co-founder of Luxury Strategy Agency, It's a Working Title. In this edition of FSW Conversations, I am talking to Sasha Charnin Morrison, the former style director at CBS Watch Magazine and former fashion director of Us Weekly Magazine. Mother to twins and a Yorkie, she has a long career in fashion styling and is the author of Secrets of Stylists, an insider's guide to styling the stars. Sasha lives and works in Manhattan. So to start off with, uh, Sasha, thank you so much for being here. And I'm just really interested in letting you introduce yourself and just talk a little bit about how you got your start in fashion and what you're doing now. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you for that intro and thank you for the invite. And uh, basically, I'm Sasha Charnam Morrison. I've been in fashion for many years, and I, I guess it's 30 plus years. I'm an author. I was an editor uh, for th those 30 plus years and um, grew up in Manhattan and have twin boys, raised them here. Um, I'm married for almost th it's 34 years this year which is unheard of in our industry because my my husband also is uh in media and but um I uh I got into fashion well I've always loved fashion so I grew up in Manhattan and um my parents my dad my mom my stepmother eventually who really changed my life um, to put me into fashion, uh, they were always my best stylists. You know, I learned everything that I needed to learn from really starting. We, we grew, I grew up in Greenwich village. My parents were both actors. So I grew up in this crazy household with, you know, two crazy actors, thank God. And I was around creative people and I was around fashion constantly my father loved clothes. He was like, you know, he did the mob wives look before mob wives was a thing, you know, in terms of a look. And um, he just loved clothes. He's like this straight guy. He's like this crazy, straight, hippie guy who loved fashion. And everybody loved that about the fact that he was just so enamored by clothes and style. And my mother... My mother was the one who kind of introduced me to, to, they both grew up in Manhattan, basically. I mean, my my parents met on the stage of West Side Story. They were both actors in that. And thank God lived here. I, I, keep thank, I keep saying that because it's just like it made such an impression on me and, you know, growing up in, in New York City. And I, you know, my mom instilled the 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 idea of you know um kind of like off-price fashion vintage fashion into with new stuff and living just this crazy life and then um my father then they separated and got divorced and my father met jade hobson who was the creative director at vogue and i was 12 and my first introduction to her was to meet her in the fashion closet at Vogue. And that was it. So I said, whatever this is, because I didn't understand that it was a job that she was doing, that this was a life. Whatever this is, this is what I want. So I went to NYU, got my degree in theater because I was a performer and I did scenic and costume design. But um, 
I just, I, I said, you know, I gave my diploma to my dad and I was like, here you go. I'm going to Vogue. So, but I, I ended up at Vanity Fair and it was so exciting and exhilarating. And it was, you know, I mean, I can get into the, the fact that it was the first job that I had a terrible boss, my devil were YSL and, but it was the best job I ever had because she taught me in nine months because I got fired ultimately. Oh no, I guess it was, uh, we had creative conflicts or whatever that term is. And, um, but she taught me everything I needed to know moving forward in my career. So that's why I was able to have this very long career in one area because I know that people get very um, upset about sticking to one area. But when you're in fashion, there's nothing else like it, except for theater, except for theater, because in show business, there is no business like show business. So the greatest thing about my upbringing is that I had both. That's amazing. Um, and before I kind of dive deeper into your fashion experience, I, ha I have to say, because your father is obviously very famous for creating Annie. So what was it like to grow up so close to the Broadway scene? Because I know that that sort of, you know, kind of mix of, you know, theater and staging and, you know, fashion has its own sort of influence as well. So, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I, I, my dad was a, so my parents were actors. Um, my, my father really has a distinction of being one of two actors in West Side Story that really didn't sing and didn't dance. But because he had a look and he could enunciate and pronounce words and the lyrics and everything was so important, um, he got the job. And then my mother eventually joined the company and that's where they met. So it's a total New York story. Um, and then through the years, he did other things, but, you know, where the, you know where the Prada store is on Fifth Avenue? Yeah. That used to be a store called Doubleday. It was a bookstore. Oh, here, I'm changing my hair. I'm changing my hair into the interview. Here we go. This is going to be one of like three changes, I think. Anyway, Doubleday bookstore um, is where the, the Prada store is now. And so why it's significant is because my dad went in there for Christmas. He went to get a gift. And he stumbled on a book, which is in the back section of the pro where the shoes are in the back section. Um, he found this book called The Life and Hard Times of Little Orphan Annie. And it was a collection of comic strips, which were by Harold Gray, of the uh, Tribune in Chicago. And it was all about Little Orphan Annie. So he bought the book. My His friend never got the book. Um, and he you know, basically thought this would make a great idea for a musical. So uh, seven years later, he was the lyricist, the original director, conceiver of Annie. And uh, our life changed uh, uh, literally overnight. I mean, the story keeps changing, but it was like he had $33 in the bank left, like literally had $33 in the bank left. So if this show did not fly, we were just done. But in 1977, life was different financially. Uh, you could actually live an interesting life. So, um, so, but the show changed everything, just absolutely everything, which actually, you know, so it gets me back to the fashion thing because he went to a dinner for Zales Jewelry and he, because um, he wanted to manufacture a pendant for Annie and for the show 
because he was big into merchandising things, very ahead of his time. And um, so at Zales, at the Zales dinner, he met my stepmother who worked at Vogue and uh, he took her to play ping pong on 52nd Street. Uh, and she fell in love with him because of that. I mean, I, I guess I, I would fall for a guy who took me to play ping pong on a first date. But um, anyway, so she was so that's how that all kind of came together. And so that so it's an interesting life, again, to have those two things. And so then he did other things. He passed away in um, five years now. Um, but the legacy of Annie is unreal. I mean, every single day on Facebook, on Instagram, there are just posts constantly about the show, about even today in Connections, uh, the New York Times, the game, um, Annie's mentioned as a, sorry, spoiler, um, as, uh, <laughs> as, you know, something that, um, sorry, my thing keeps binging, um, you know, uh, Annie every day and there's a tour that's out and it continues his vision continues to delight and you know it almost didn't get made so there's there's that and every every year in April I always post this letter that he got from the Needlelander organization who um became the direct uh, the producers of the show um or one of the producers is that they basically turned it down said it was ho hum who cares um so I posted the letter constantly to let people know that sometimes when you have an idea, everybody, if you have the, my dad had this, you know, drive and determination. He knew the show had legs. Everybody told him the show had legs. It was going to work. Um, and it's very difficult to launch anything, to get anybody to believe in anything. So the the company that actually got saved, the Needlelander organization from the show, who turned it down, came back around and ended up producing it. And it saved the organization. It's saved us. It, um, yeah. And it, and, and it's an amazing legacy. So luckily for us as the family, we inherited the legacy. We have the entire catalog of his work and we continue daily. My husband is constantly um, working on how to further the brand and, um, and, and, She's a nice sister to have. Let me just say that. <laughs> That's amazing. Thanks, so, to, so to switch it back to you, um, you, yeah. you just had such an amazing kind of uh, portfolio of experience within fashion. And I'm just very curious as a as an an editor and a writer specifically, just to kind of dive into that before I get to all the styling parts. I mean, you've worked for everyone. And I'm just curious, what are some of your favorite ex experiences in working in um, fashion editorial? Okay, so my first experience, as I stated, was with Marina Schiano, who was my devil, and she wore YSL. And she taught me, she was really impossible to work for, but she was the best because she was not great with people necessarily or with an assistant. Um, but there were just, you know, lessons on how not to do certain things that I learned from her. And it was a real... Um, it was a hard job because I was 21. I was highly ambitious um, and I just didn't play it right. I should have played it better, meaning that she was the the right arm, leg, hand to Yves Saint Laurent. Like I didn't understand that at the moment. I should have, but I didn't understand that at the moment. But she just taught me how, you know, uh, oh, there's my dog. 
Mo Green. Um, she just taught me um, how not to do things and how to do things. So I appreciated that experience to, you know, because having a bad experience in the beginning is great because then, you know, you're hit with in your head with this like craziness to begin with. And then as you move on, you either take the road of knowing what to do and what not to do. So I, I appreciate everything that happens there. And not at the time. I mean, I was, you know, horrified, but I, I so that was very important to me. Um, 17 magazine, which eventually I, I ended up going to was an incredible experience because I worked for this wonderful woman named Midge Richardson, who was a former nun. She came from glamor. She was the editor in chief and she just gave me opportunities that I really didn't know were available to people to get, she gave me a voice with the reader. So that was really important to me as a, I had this kind of interesting um, role there. It was, we, we had, I had multiple titles, um, but mostly was accessories editor, which I really found in the end is my calling and my favorite part. You know, I did fashion later, but the accessories really just, you know, when everything is really in the, um, can I say, can I use a pro, profane, profane word? Okay, so when everything was in the shits, um, when everything is in the shits in fashion, you can always de depend on accessories because they can change everything. And you can make an entire story about accessories where sometimes it's challenging with some fashion, but clothing, I mean, you know. And um, so I really, really loved that job. And Nancy Hessel Weber, who was my creative director there, is the mother of Rebecca Hessel Cohen, who owns Love Shack Fancy. So, it you know, so it was a really great job. Then um, my other really, uh, where you really feel like your heart is being pulled and someone who trusted me so much was um, Liz Tolbaris at Harper's Bazaar. I was eight. I didn't actually, the interesting thing is I really say Vogue. I never wanted to work at Vogue. I never, I worked at Mirabella with Grace Mirabella and my stepmother um, as an, as a editor of all trades. Like they said, you know, can you, can you do this? You raise your hand and you did it. You know, it was really fun. Uh, I worked there for nine months before I went to 17. But um, I really wanted to work at Harper's Bazaar because I I admired the editorial and the direction and the new photographers. And I just felt like that's where I needed to be to create something. And I don't even know how it happened, but I got a job there as the um, market uh, editor, which was like the person that handled fashion from the from the French market. Um, and I and I joined and I I had five glorious years with Liz Tolbaris, who was the most outstanding editor in chief, who just loved her job, loved her home. And she was able to trust the people that she put in the jobs there so that she could leave at six o'clock and go home and have a life with her family. And then also she just loved fashion. I mean, it was just like something I. I had, I had never quite experienced someone who loved fashion that much and was so devoted to the title and 
just fun and just absolutely amazing. So when she passed away, it was absolutely devastating. And so after that, it was like, uh, I, I didn't need to go to anything else, you know, like, like that, that was the height. Um, but Linda Wells hired me at Allure and everybody said, why are you going to Allure? That's so crazy. But it, seven years, of the most fun, uh, Paul Cavaco was my editor, my mentor. I loved working there. I loved the head to toe-ness of Allure. And then after that, because I had my babies, I just couldn't, I, I just couldn't swing the job going away. And I went to Us Weekly and I just loved Every the 10 years there was just, it was crazy. It was a weekly. I don't even know what I was getting myself into, but I loved it. It was just fun, fun. I did Who Wore It Best for 10 years, which is like 400 years. And uh, I just loved it. I loved it. So it actually brought together, it brought me back together to my roots from Vanity Fair being a celebrity magazine to Us Weekly being a celebrity magazine. No, oh, I love that. And actually as a stylist, you've styled so many celebrities and mega stars and, you know, who are your favorite, who are your favorite celebrities to work with? And, you know, who would you never work with again? I guess you can't really say that, but. but. <laughs> well, let me just say this, you know, you're, you're, you're thrown into a situation where you work with someone who has to basically get in, undressed in front of you. They don't know you that you, you have to sign NDAs and whatnot. So you won't say anything. And I think it's, you know, I I commend the people that um, trust to uh, do all of that in front of you. And, you know, then everybody expects us to all be friends after. And sometimes it works out that you do become their stylist for red carpet events and whatnot. But, you know, it's just a job that you go to and you do this and you try to gain trust. It's very difficult because celebrities are thrust into this position where they have to trust you and trust the clothes. And, you know, um, in the old days, it was really hard to get around uh, getting samples that are, that are, you know, tailored for models because that are, you know, a double zero on the runway they're made for. And then you're asking this poor celebrity who, you know, we all have body issues, right? So you say to this person, oh, you know, it'd be great if you could get into this, but you know, oh, it's a double zero. We're going to have to cut out the back or other. So um, it, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting challenge. And um, I don't really, you know, I, okay. Um, <laughs> I loved, I worked with JLo. I loved working with her because she had such a sense of herself and what the you know job was that we were doing because you want to be happy with the result you want them to be happy and you want a great picture right for styling so um i thought that she was she was great and demanding but <clears throat> she made me work and i and i really appreciated that um i worked with snooky a few times uh, from Jersey Shore, <laughs> which was one of the best-selling covers ever of uh, Us Weekly, and she was a challenge. But I'll tell you, she was she was hard, but um, but it was a job and it was great. And the, she and J Lo have like the best skin I've ever seen on a celebrity. 
you know? So that was, and it's a funny story because I had said to Paul Cavaco, who's at Allure, my former boss, I was like, you know, I had told them there are two people. There's one person that you need to photograph, Lauren Conrad from the Hills. She's great, you know, whatever. And uh, he said to me, oh, I've, that'll, you know, no, and whatever, whatever the story was. And she ended up being like a, a, one of the best-selling covers of Allure. So um, Paul and I used to love that whole thing. And I said to him, "Got it? you have to photograph Snooki because she is, this is the kind of conversations that you have with people in fashion. She is Linda Ronstadt in the Annie Leibovitz uh, portfolio from Rolling Stone. So all I needed to tell him, because, you know, you have visuals in your head when you're a creative person. And when I said that to him, he totally got it. You know, he and and he was going to do it. And then for some reason, something happened and it didn't happen. But to this day, you know, uh, uh, we, we always share um, a moment like that. Um, those are the kinds of conversations that fashion people have, which are really funny. And they don't mean people are people say, what what the hell was that conversation? What does that even mean? But when you when you grow up with these people, that's what you 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 learn. That's that's how you speak that fashion people. One great person said this to me. Fashion people speak like dolphins. Because nobody understands yes. what the hell are you saying? You know, we're doing a no, shoot. We need, we're doing a shoot and it's going to be sleeveless. I need all sleeveless. This is, these are the ki- types of things that would happen. I need a sleeveless top shoot. So get me all sleeveless tops, but I need to make sure that I have like a leopard sleeve. What the hell does <laughs> that mean? But in the world of crazy fashion people, it just, it means something. So you know, as a, as the finder of things, you got to find that thing. And that's, and so I love it. I love that. But, um, you know, I don't want to, I, people have been, celebrities that I've worked with have been highly challenging. Let's just say that. But given the circumstances, I think my last shoot before COVID was the worst shoot I think I've ever been on. And it was a group. And I think the world was like crumbling. So I, the the you know the I ha- thank God oh so here's the one tip that I have for all stylists hire a DJ and that's what I learned from J Lo hire a DJ because you get a D so I went to Nordstrom and there was a DJ who was so I got her card and we hired the DJ for CBS Watch which was my last job we hired a DJ you put they play music the second that the celebrity walks in until the second they leave and it it creates a great atmosphere so that you can basically get anything you want out of anybody out of anybody <laughs> so mm. music is key <laughs> it is it is it's key because it, you know because sometimes you find yourself at a shoot and you have your iphone and then and then you got to use a speaker from the eye it's terrible it's tinny or or you know bring your bring a set of speakers with you or something it, 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 it yes music brings everybody together um when you have a challenging shoot and and hire a tailor for the shoot um if you even shoot anything anymore i mean everything's in jpegs now which makes it a hell of a lot easier so 
Anyway. So you, uh, you referenced how your dad was, you know, ahead of the, the mob wife trend from before. And I'm just curious, given your experience, what you think about, I mean, there's this sort of circularity happening between sort of social media and fashion, you know, fashion has long influenced social media and influencers and the whole thing. And now we've sort of have the reverse happening with TikTok trends directly influencing the runway. And I'm just curious from your end, you know, is that a good thing? Or, or, I mean, what do you think of this sort of sort of, you know, circular kind of approach when it comes to trends and design and, you know, kind of a second half of that questioning, you know, do you think that today's sort of, you know, I don't want to say youth, but like, do do fashion style lovers today need more education in the basics of, you know, fashion history and style as well? Okay, well, because my brain is so, you know, overpopulated with things, please remind me if I don't answer the question, because it's a big loaded question. <laughs> um, you know, it's, the great thing about fashion is that it constantly evolves, right? It constantly changes, thank God. So um, one thing that I think, you know, it's just the next extension of what's happening. There are no magazines anymore. So what do you have? You have social media and look what TikTok has done. TikTok has revived um, entire industries and it's too fast. It's too crazy, but it's a necessity and it is the way that it is. So, you know, you either embrace it. Nobody wanted it. Nobody in fashion wanted wanted to embrace influencers and social media, but we have um, begrudgingly. I mean, it's, you know, there's always this like, you know, but it it is the evolution of the way that things are going. And um, I think that, you know, but what's interesting about like the TikTok fur industry situation is that what in what they what the what the kids want um is uh they want the look and um what they're doing though is they're doing it in what they think is responsibly because they're going to vintage uh either uh faux fur or older fur or whatever so that sends a message so the fashion industry has to has to get off the thing that they're on and embrace it and understand it because it's fast, it's quick, it's this, that, and the other thing, but it's directional. So, you know, and then they're on to the, and then everybody's on to the next thing because it's winter, everybody wants a faux fur coat or or a vintage fur coat. So, um, you know, the, the, this is of the, it's of the moment. That's the, that's the thing that everybody's always upset about that fashion six months in advance. And the, 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 blah, 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 blah. so, it's very important to embrace it, I think. Um, and it's very, you know, important for companies to realize that this is where we are. There are no magazine. There, there are very few magazines anymore. So, you know, where are we getting our information? So this is where it's at. So you either buckle up and enjoy the ride. And then what happens, though, is that and I think this is the second part of the question. And I hope that I answered that part the first part of the question. But what happens, though, is that then suddenly things start popping up um, that are old style or retro or vintage or whatever you want to use as the term. And it opens a door for people like me who want to uh, kind of fuse together the history with the new. Because you know, that's what it is. So why I reference my dad with being, you know, my dad used to wear, well, this is an interesting story. So my dad used to wear raccoon and wild uh, and fox coats 
with jeans. You know, it's like a hippie. And um, and his raccoon coat was stolen in 1977 when he was doing this nightclub act. And what am I doing? Every time I go to a vintage sale, I am rummaging through these fur coats looking for the Tepper collection raccoon coat that was stolen with hopefully his initials inside because you know when you look at vintage fur coats they are they all have people's initials inside so you know i'm on so that's how it all comes together but you know he did that look and i like referencing old pictures constantly and i, I i'm actually connected with a group in california these girls who look like my if i have daughters i have boys if i have daughters they would be my daughters you know, and all they do is they they buy and sell vintage and they say things that are wrong, incorrect. I used, used to make me nuts, but now I, I meaning designer names, but but now they're well versed and it's fascinating to see. And they kind of look at me as a fairy godmother of fashion which I will wear as a badge prominently because I love the fact that this group is so nice and they're open to listening. So the key to all of that too, with the history and everything is hopefully people will listen. I fear that um, there's not a lot of listening that goes on. So, I mean, I'm happy to be with this group um, and, you know, I can reference them later for you and tell them, tell you who they are, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, if, if anyone wanted to find them, who are they? Are, are they on TikTok or? Yes, yeah, so they no. Well, I think they might be, but it's um. So I've um the come up vintage is on uh Instagram, and she's outstanding. Her name is Linda, and she's got great, 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 great style. And then I've got Princess Jess. I love all these names. You know, they have all these amazing handles. Um. She changed her name. I can't remember what her new what her new handle is. Vintage something. So that was that was really clever of me. I should have you know figured that out first. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, but what I love is that there are people that are very open to listening to um, the history. The history of fashion is not that deep. You know, it's not that long. I mean, for what you need to know for what's happening like it's very exciting today is going to be like the premiere collection of the new new designer creative director whatever they're called now of Moschino in Italy I'm very excited for the new so uh uh getting back to you know it's just very I think it's very important for anybody who wants to be in fashion to know the history it's very easy you can Google it. You could Google anything. And I think it'll make your life much more exciting knowing. And I think that uh, when it slows down a little bit for a second for everybody to catch their breath, then, you know, the old influencers come in. I mean, it's an interesting shift that's happening. Older models are needed now. Um, Ladies of Madison Avenue on uh, Instagram is an, a great site of just people who look worn and lived in. And I think their stories about who they were connected to are really, really interesting instead of saying things like, you know, um, that's fabulous. Um, you know, 
uh, I think what people need to start doing now uh, in fashion, the TikTokers, the the Instagram people, is picking up some of these interesting words that are spoken by past people who lived the fashion that these people buy. I love that. And it's a continuation of their story and their narrative kind of, you know, from the past into the future. And I love that. Um, and uh, just to close, I mean, you are obviously fabulous yourself. And I just would love uh, you. You know, a quick take on how you would describe your personal style and your sort of uh, personal style influences. Well, I just lost 60 pounds. So I'm very excited about the fact that I had this COVID weight, which was, you know, terrible. Now I am back and I can wear clothes again. So, but the interesting thing is um, my personal style, even though I should be wearing fitted things, I actually love everything oversized. So I had dis- I had dis- discovered that um, I have two looks. This is what happens when you get older. You, you start to figure out what your looks are. And then I sell my closet on um, Covet by Christos once a month um, on Instagram because I have all of these things from a time past that everybody wants. They want this 1990s era uh, stuff. What I've whittled my style down to, it's very simple. In the winter, I wear a Norma Kamali kimono sleeping bag camouflage coat. It has become the most important thing in my life. It, my dog loves it. People love it on the street. I don't know why. I don't know why. Uh, why anybody does not. Why everybody doesn't have Norma Kamali in their wardrobe. Period. She's gender fluid. She's she's the, the greatest tailor for women. She's a, a, a incredible designer. So the coat. And then a hoodie dress, a sweatshirt hoodie dress. I don't care who it's from, H&M, Moschino, whatever. I wear that black tights and platform sneakers from um, the Nike Comme de Garçon collaboration. So that's the winter look. The spring summer look is a kimono, a caftan, a slip dress, and some kind of platform shoe. I'm a shorty. I'm only 5'2". And I think I'm shrinking by the minute. So I need the height. Um, but, uh, and the shoes are very important to me. I don't, I, I really love Miu Miu. I really love Prada. Though th- that situation really speaks to me. I don't know if it's because uh, the store is where m- my life changed on Fifth Avenue. But um, I really, I really... Mutra Prada really speaks to me and has for forever. So, um, and then these, and then the rings, I love rings for jewelry. My new thing is this watch ring, which is so important to me. Suddenly I'm wearing a watch. This was an influence from this girl out in LA. She buys watches that don't work. So she has me wearing my old Cartier watch that doesn't work. And then things that just don't wind up anymore because I use my phone for my, for my time, you know? So I don't, I don't need, I just like wearing it and um, glasses, large sunglasses. I just, I just love them. So that's the look, that's it. Everything else can go. I don't even carry a bag anymore because the kangaroo pocket in the hoodie 
carries everything and then everything's on my phone. So, you know, so I don't need all of these things. So that's, that's my, that's my look going forward. And then I, I don't always carry my book, but I wrote a book. <laughs> it's a great book. It's awesome. It's cool. So, um, anyway, uh, that's, that, that's what it, that's what it's, tr that's what it is now. It is 